I'll, I'll warn you before I take the screenshot. How hard do you want us to pose? I see people with a lot of mugs in your previous episode. It's Hamish, and then <laughs> Hamish has uh, started something. I back maybe. it. I back, I back the trend. I back the trend. I have a selection of mugs. So. Honestly, it's the easiest way to do no face, no case. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't have nothing to do with it now, so. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Third Wheel. I'm one of your hosts, Hamish. And I'm your other host, Aaron. Yeah, and today we're joined for episode 63 by Vinaya, whom I met at Hindu Sok when I was in my third year, and I think she was in her first year. Yeah. So yeah, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, just uh, thanks for that introduction, Hamish. Yeah, and Vinaya went to the same university as both of them, I guess. Right, Aaron? You want to uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so another little Asian person, word of mouth, little familiar face, which is uh, great. So I'm excited to be here. Maybe we need to turn into like an Asian podcast, you know, <laughs> attract those that viewership. <laughs> Should we just call it ASOC? Or the ASOC podcast. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, neither of us are ASOC, so we can't use it. Yeah, you mentioned briefly that you used two met a Hindu sock. Yeah, this was in first year. It was at these Monday Arthis that I think someone else has talked about previously, which is where I met Hamish. Were you by any chance a SAWA coordinator? No, so in my first year, I was a rep, like a fresh rep. Okay, okay. And then from there, like uh, I applied for exec position and then became on the exec in my second year. Yeah, only ask because we've had about like three of them, like Hindu socks, so coordinators. So I was like, is it another one? Wait, didn't you become the pres? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I became co-president. There were, there were two of us. I'm not going to completely claim the title, but oh, yes. She just claimed it. No. <laughs> Who's the other one? Do we know the other one? Uh, Priyanka Chatai. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. What other like kind of stuff did you get up to at uni? Let me think. So obviously did like went through a few of the ASOC standard events that everyone went to in first year. Hindu sock, I think, took up quite a bit because we did a lot of sports as well so i did join like the core core team do you guys know what core core is i don't know mm, i know core buddy no. but i don't know core core yeah the core core is basically described as like a really intense game of it essentially okay <laughs> i mean they play it a lot in india and it's getting quite big actually and very competitive so lots of like the national hindu sock association universities they all compete against that um so i think it was that year we started to run it because a bunch of us in first year knew how to play it so we formed a team for i think the first time in a while for that sport so yeah i think hindu stock took up a lot and then i just joined pangra because i just like dancing so uh, and a few of our mates were running that society so i thought i'd join yeah have we had them on the podcast yeah you had like jeevan and Liam. Yeah, yeah, we've had, yeah, yeah. both of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. What did you study at uni? So I did biomedical science. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I was one of the students uh, trekking up Chibit Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Have we had someone else from biomed? Yeah, Krishna. Um, okay, called yeah. Her out, but she switched to, obviously, something odd. Yeah, she's actually replied to her Instagram story already with a, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. So I guess let's uh, rewind it back to very beginning <laughs> you weren't born here were you in the uk no no i was um i was born in kenya and i moved to the uk boxing day in uh, 2003 so i spent a good five and a half you know years of my life in that country how was that very different very very different lifestyle to here i don't know if you guys know much about like the asian community in east africa yeah my mum was born in uganda Oh, okay. And then, and I thought that was really unusual at first. Mm. And then coming to uni, and then I meet like every other person I met was like, oh, yeah, my mom was also, or my parents were born in like East Africa as well. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. My grandfather was in the military there. Oh, wow. That's quite interesting. Yeah. So I think, but obviously in Uganda, the situation was quite bad. I think in the 60s, a lot of them had to leave. Yeah. It's because of Idi Amin, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
so yeah, so like uh, like my great grandparents had moved, and then ever since then, up till even my sister, like we were both born there. And I guess like obviously the whole lifestyle in Kenya is you have a business. It's not like here. So even like through association with people, you associate them with businesses, not just through people. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. So if I ever you know meet another Asian who's got like a surname similar to mine, typically a Shah, because we're quite a big community there. My parents will just kind of ask, oh, are they from Kenya? And if they are, then what business do their family have? And that's how they can link everyone up. And that's how it was. And, you know, people had maids, you know, people used to help around the house. Um, so, and drivers. So it was, it was very different, obviously, living in a Western country. Yeah. Do you remember much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember a lot. I did nursery and reception there. Uh, I do have a strange memory. I can remember quite a bit from my childhood. And like, I think housing was quite interesting. Like, obviously we had big houses, but I used to live near this national park. So there used to be monkeys and that, like coming into my garden and like, I'd be eating outside and they'll just come steal my food or just, it just be, you know, that kind of a very wild atmosphere. You could say. <laughs> I've actually fed uh, like a wild monkey. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was shit scared of it because like, it was a big monkey. Like this monkey was like half the size of me now. Wow. And I was not going near it. Oh god! As long as it's not a baboon, you're all right. <laughs> I actually don't know what kind of monkey it was. I was too un- uneducated at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny when you said Shah as well because we had Shami on like the podcast from like episode ten. Yeah, we have so many Kenyans on. You know that, Aaron? Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah, because so Kiru Shami. Yeah. Yeah. Dil. Yeah, Dil's Deal, family is from Kenya. So we've had, I think, Hong Kong and Kenya, apart from the UK, is like. I don't know, for some reason, that's where we found a lot of our guests. Do you miss it all? Like, Not quite. I mean, a lot of my family have moved here now. I do still have family back there, but I think I just miss it more now because of like holidays. Like, whenever you go back to Kenya, you always visit the coast or you go Masaimara. Um, so those kind of experiences you don't get mainly elsewhere. And weddings used to be the excuse to obviously go back, but at the moment that's not happening. So. Yeah. And how come you moved over here? Um, to be honest, I think it was more just like to get a better life. I mean, our family went through quite a bit there and just kind of through just my grandma saying that, you know, it just seems a lot of bad luck. So we need to kind of step up and move uh, to the UK to kind of reset everything, uh, which is probably the best decision my parents made. So yeah, uplifted and moved here and now live in life. <laughs> what are like the main differences that you can remember from, I guess, living in Kenya for those years and then or when you first moved here, like what was your like first kind of initial reaction? So obviously, because I was quite young, I, d- I didn't understand yeah. completely why we had moved. Um, my first school was very non-diverse. I would like say it's very much British and students with low-income households and a lot of kids that, you know, had severe issues. So when they first sort of saw me, it was like, well, it was really weird. You've seen an Indian girl, but she's got a very thick African accent. It was just not registering in them. So it was like a whole new experience of just making friends, um, introducing all of them to a completely different culture and a different, you know, completely different person. So it did take me a while to kind of settle in. And even just moving here, it was weird to see that, you know, people didn't have businesses. You actually had to get a job and get properly employed. Housing obviously is a lot smaller everything was just suddenly more expensive. So yeah. it's a big culture shock, you could say. How was your English? Yeah, I could, my English was good because my school in Kenya is all taught in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like one of those international schools. So like all of that was pretty much fine. How strong was that accent? Because like if you were learning <laughs> English from an early age as well and you came here as pretty young, I don't imagine this accent, because I don't, I don't hear an accent. So yeah, I just no. assumed you're from here. 
I no, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the accent faded probably, say, towards the late year five, year six stage. You know, it was one of those things, but when you're a child, you can get rid of the accent a little bit more easier mm. than if you, you know, stay in the country for a lot longer. So my accent only really comes out properly if I speak to my parents or my immediate family. But like talking to you guys, it's all very professional, it's all very professional. British. <laughs> oh, no, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to be. Yeah, not many people call us professionals. So. <laughs> But we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah, yeah take it. <laughs> um, yeah, so it just faded out. Was there anything like you said you were kind of treated differently? It was kind of a bit weird when you first came. Like anything like particularly bad? Obviously, people were just kind of mocking your accent, mm. the exclusion and things like that. I think actually one thing I, I would bring up is not actually do it with students. I think it was more just being uneducated about religions. I'm a Jane, technically, by birth. And a lot of my family uh, relate to that religion. So... There is that symbol, like a Saraswati symbol, which is basically the flipped version of what the swastika looks like. And the whole history behind it is basically like how Hitler took that symbol, flipped it, twisted it. So when I did a religious box they told us to make at school, when I was sewing that box, I was sewing my symbol, my own religion symbol, and it got flagged up by the teachers being like, hey, what, what is this? Obviously, it became like a very safeguarding issue had to then question me. And I was only like year four. So I was probably, what, eight years old? I was trying to explain to them that like, this is just my religion. This is what I've been taught. And then my parents had to be kind of called in just to double check like what it is. And first time these teachers ever heard about a religion like that. So, yeah. I mean, I had that incident like, so how many, how long ago? It was maybe like a year ago now. So the police wanted like footage from the CCTV. But when they came up the staircase, you could, so we have audio on it as well. Mm. You could hear them. So they saw the symbols. And they're like, oh my God. One of them was like, oh my God, are, are these all like Nazis? Like, what were these symbols? Is that blood? Like, is that done? I'm like, and I'm listening to this audio back and I'm just like, oh, I can't be asked for this. Yeah, luckily, the woman, I think she knew about now she thinks they're Hindu. Yeah. Just because it's a lot very Hindu area. So, oh, and then okay. they just have to. So, like, luckily, one of them knew, but one of them, I was just like, I'm like, yeah. surely if you're roaming around this area, you know that mm-hmm. it's full of as ethnically diverse as it can be. Yeah. Did either of the schools you went to, were they a school belonging to a certain religion? No. No. So I went to a Catholic school. So RE, like religious studies, I know some people call it, some schools call it something else. So I was kind of just taught like Catholic stuff. What were you guys taught in RE? I was actually taught pretty much most of the religions. So you actually taught a bit, bit about each religion. I think there was a bit more on, like, I guess, Christianity, but because of how diverse it was, they had to ensure that we learned about other religions, some of the differences. Just because otherwise it will be very easy to make some blunder or like something like kind of, I guess, to reduce like the, um, how do I say the segregation and like that confusion. I think they like, they had to do it for our school, especially. So they taught us like the majority of them. I don't remember like the majority of them, but when I say majority, I'm like saying like probably like nine, but then I don't remember all of them. I just know enough not to try and offend someone when I speak to them. <laughs> yeah, no, I think my, my primary school, I don't quite remember. I know obviously a lot was focused around Christianity. It was more in my secondary school because it was a lot more diverse. That is when you learn about the big five religions, maybe touch upon some other sort of principles. That's about it, really. Yeah, looking back on it, we weren't really, even in secondary school, like we did have like classes in other religions and maybe like a bit of some projects to do, but we didn't really touch on much else because it was a school where like there was a Catholic primary school and then a Catholic secondary school. So like, mm. You had to be Catholic to go to that school. So everyone was Catholic. So it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know, really. Oh, that's interesting. But, but do you think the, re- the reason maybe schools aren't comfortable teaching about 
other religions is maybe the, the teachers themselves aren't as well educated and so you know don't want to yeah. be teaching the wrong thing yeah potentially yeah for sure i mean i mostly remember it just being like there was a textbook and it had like chapters on on, on other religions so like we kind of just yeah but it definitely i don't think it was probably explored as much as it could have been yeah no for sure i just remember learning about hinduism and even though i'm not a hindu i know like a little bit about it and i remember this teacher trying to teach it and he just felt very uncomfortable teaching mm. about the religion because obviously he couldn't relate himself yeah to it so there's a lot of like students that probably know more than him yeah i mean a lot of the time he was asking us like is this true is this real you know and just asking us more about it which is quite nice i mean that's that's the plus side but yeah as you say in terms of their role like i think they just felt a bit more less comfortable no that's interesting yeah because i didn't really know much about jane really before dill came on the podcast you two volunteer at the same center youth center yeah, yeah, we both uh, volunteer at um, this place called Shishikunj. So that's how me and him met before uni. It's literally just a youth club run by the youth in terms of just trying to build up leadership and all these other skills, as well as uh, implement charity, especially raising money for kids in India and Kenya. When you say the youth club, what kind of things do you do there? Because when I think of a youth club, I'm thinking like a youth club in my school was kind of somewhere where you went afterwards and there was like loads of sweets and there was like an Xbox and table tennis and stuff like that. So I think our organization, I mean, we say youth club, it's kind of a big mush of a lot of things. So we had Gujarati school um, in the morning for an hour. Uh, So all of this would happen mainly on a Sunday every week. That would be followed by a spiritual session. So it'd be like singing um, spiritual songs, uh, having a moral story um, being told. And then you'd have different activities. So it just depended on the term. So you had a themed activity in your age group. So it could be a whole games thing, could be a creative session, could be a debate, things like that. We even had a form of kind of like martial arts that we would learn in summer um, using like dumbbells, like sticks, these, I can't even describe them to you, but we call them lesims and they're like wooden (laughs) sticks with like bells on it. And you do this whole routine with all these different, yeah, I'd say martial art type equipment. And what age are like people that go? From six. Yeah. And then oh, wow. you, you train, well, you learn all this stuff, you go through these activities. And when you get to about 12 to 13 is when you get a bit more responsibility. So that's when you actively become a volunteer really at the club. So you'd be in charge maybe of a group of 10 kids. And then when you're about 14, 15, you actually plan these activities, you deliver them uh, to the age group. And then when you get to about 17, 18, you're running the whole day. So you are yourself watching over all of these 14, 15 year olds. And then there are bigger, bigger events. Like it could be a whole Garba Navratri event that you organize or a four-day camping trip for like 200 people. And you do that by the time you're like 22, 23, you've, you've done at least one of those big things. Oh, so something that you, you both like went to when you were younger. Yeah, yeah. And then you've like progressed through it. Exactly. They all went to the one down in South London. I went to one up in Finchley. But because we had days or big events where we would meet, that's again because we're obviously with the same age group so a lot of our activities were done together and that's when we yeah. uh, became friends yeah do you do anything like that Hamish no no basically I was actually gonna just so I always used to think of as youth club slash youth center as like a thing for people that need to be that have been like probably done some crimes or they need to be like they're on like a rehabilitation or correction thing so there'll be those centers and as they'll be slowly closing down and then either turning into from mental institutes and all that stuff so I always had a negative connotation of it but in the secondary school I learned that even now, like they have like a Kumon thing in our primary school, they run like Kumon thing over the weekend for um, students and so on. And in the secondary school, they run like multiple different cultural things. So there's like, I know there's Islamic lessons, there's Hindu lessons, there's like dance lessons in there, and there's Tamil 
or something related to Tamil. I don't know the specifics because I don't know anyone that does them, but I know a lot of people do go there. But that was like my first exposure to it. But until like that point, I thought it was always like a negative like connotation with it. Yeah, I think I think nowadays they come in different forms. There's so many different types of centers out there. And yeah, like I think now youth clubs are literally more for just gaining other skills that you don't get at school. Yeah. Yeah. I did Cubs and Scouts when I was younger. That's uh, brownie guide. <laughs> Where you as well? I was yeah. a brownie. <laughs> wait, sorry. Wait, I, so for someone who doesn't know Scouts, like what does that mean? So like brownies is kind of the female equivalent of Cubs, right? Mm. And then Scouts is like the age group above Cubs. Well, for, for guys in a way. I don't know if it still does, if they still do that now, if they still separate the genders. Or... Um, when I was looking at scouts, they mixed it, actually. The one I was looking at mixed. Okay. Yeah. It's like... Is it like TV? Like when they show people get badges and everything? And yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <literally is. laughs> yeah, so like we had... So like Cubs, we'd go to the hall, like next to our school, and then kind of done stuff like, like as you said, stuff you wouldn't learn in school. but for us, it was kind of more like how to tie a knot and like how to cook beans if you're in like the middle of the forest. And it was it was very much a, like, like a like a downplayed version of Bear Girls. Yeah, <laughs> we learned it in Duke of Edinburgh. That's when I learned that stuff. Yeah, I was actually a I, I forgot what it's called now. It's like cub leader or something. I was like, we went on to this like weekend trip, like all the cubs and scouts and stuff, and I was a. Uh, I don't know if it's it, what's it called, captain or something. But I had to do like the little thing where you will say like a, it's like a ritual, not a ritual, but it's something, <laughs> you say something and then I have to like, I have to like pull up the flag, which has like the British flag and the s- scouts flag and then stand like that. No, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know, I know what you're talking about, but Aaron, you, you, that, that means that you were quite special if they let you do that. Oh yeah, I definitely was special. <laughs> in, in a, yeah. It depends how way. you define special. Yeah, in a good way. <laughs> Or in like, I know I showed their leadership qualities. That's what I'll say. But I was the thing is that I was I was tiny. I was like so small. People were staring at me like. What's what what was doing? your um, MSN name again that you said? Was it? Oh, it was Mighty Midget. Mighty Midget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back back in the day, but in like funny characters, like backwards and stuff like that. Oh. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. So we kind of like progressed a bit from like in Kenya, and now we've moved on to like primary school, secondary school. Mm. So what, what point did you kind of know you wanted to do like biomed? I think I've always been interested in science and obviously watched a lot of those kind of shows, those TV shows that to do with doctors and medical cases and things like that. And then at one point I did want to apply for medicine during A-level time, but I got some experience at a hospital and I just realized, okay, this is not for me. So when I went out- What were you doing? In like experience in a hospital? So I was in cardiology and I was just watching surgeons doing like different operations on the heart. So it'd be like ablations for those who have very high fibrillations. That means their heart rate is really, really high. So I was seeing actual procedures being done, basically. With like blood and everything. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Would, you, would you think they were performing on that? <laughs> no, no, but it just seems... <laughs> it's how, how old were you at the time? I was uh, 16, 17. That's, that seems like really young to be like... I don't know, allowing someone to like watch that kind of stuff. But she wasn't near the patient or anything. She was probably like... Yeah, it's like a watching gallery or I was watching it on her camera. I wasn't in the room. They stopped doing that, actually. I asked them, why are we not allowed in the operation room? They said, oh, because too many people faint and then they become the problem and not the patient. So So did that like kind of put you off it? No, I think what put me off is if I did ever want to become a doctor, I'd want to 
be a, a pediatrician. But then I just kind of, I'd seen a ward with, you know, sick children or just the idea that a child's life is in my hands. Like, I think I just couldn't be able to deal with yeah. that on an everyday basis. I always imagine like if I'm a doctor and like telling a family or something that yeah. somebody you were trying to save has like died or something. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a worse. huge emotional burden, which I don't think I was probably able to, you know, take on if I became a doctor. But when I went to look at the universities, when I was applying at the time, I came across biomed and that was the least invasive version. It was, you're not going to be a doctor, but you're going to learn about everything else inside the body and look at more labs and vaccines and viruses and things like that. So I found that equally as interesting. Did you ever faint when you were in the surgery room or like in the viewing gallery? No, I, I don't really get freaked out by, by blood. <laughs> I just hate that. Like, you know, on TV, when they start having those things showing like the operation, I'm like, you'll switch the channel. I can't watch this. Yeah. <laughs> but then like, I'm not like in person. Like if I had a cut or anything, I have no issue with it. Like I'll, it's very easy for me to just quickly clean up and, and patch it up here, but I can't watch it. Like, I, I don't know why I can't watch it happening to other people in any way. Yeah. It's very like, I don't know. It's not, it's not cringe, but like that feeling is just like, it's so nasty. I know what you mean. I think for me, it's like if you're entering like the cutting part or like, you know, when someone has a really like physical, gory injury, then yeah, that that's a bit like, uh. um, but if it's internal, I think because of like A level, you, you dissect a kidney, you dissect a liver, you dissect a heart. So you're used to- you what? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is A-level biology. They get you to- Do they not do that in ends? But... <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I don't think anyone was dissecting things like that. Yeah, well, we, we did that at our school um, as part of learning about the different organs and their structures. I can know. Yeah. I think they did. I didn't do biology at A-level, but I'm yeah, pretty so. sure they, they did. Or they did it with like a frog or something. Like yeah, some, some schools do that. I did a fish as well. That stunk up the entire school. Yeah, now with us now that just sounds like really like yeah i don't know do they still do that again do they still yeah, do that kind yeah of stuff? yeah i do that with my students it's oh, and stuff, so. I, I could never i could never have you ever had a student faint i think they were close but um i told them they'd have to kind of sit at the back or they'd have to leave the room so not quite very close mm. but not quite what would you do if they fainted like what, what are you gonna do well other than that the procedure is one, send a student to go get a first aider. The second procedure, obviously, you have to do the whole first aid thing, elevate their legs, get their blood rushing to their brain and do all that stuff to stop them from fainting. Oh, or to yeah. get them <laughs> conscious again. <laughs> have you ever fainted, Hamish, like in your life? No, I think the closest I came was when, well, even currently, I still have a couple of my discs damage in my spine. So whilst that's recovering, when I was doing one of the stretches, I think it basically pinched one of the nerves. And everything rushed to my head and I, and I was falling straight flat forward. Um, luckily, I caught on, but I knocked over everything on my table on the way down. And I didn't like land face first into the floor. That's the closest I've come to fainting that I'm aware of. Wow. Was that painful? I can imagine that being painful. I wouldn't say it's painful. It's just, I don't remember it being, I actually don't remember much of it. All I remember is going straight down. And the next thing you know, everything's on the floor from the table, but I haven't landed face first. Mm. So that's like the only benefit. Sorry. Bad. Have you, Aaron? Nah, nah, not that I can remember at least i think i'm pretty good with like stuff like blood and stuff like that to be honest mm. i don't know what would make me faint if I, something happened i don't i don't think i'd like faint like even if i saw the um like you know someone being operated on or something or like someone gushing out in blood there i just wouldn't like it and i'd just be like Ugh. i think maybe severe dehydration might just make you faint and yeah, severe I mean, distortion stuff like luckily that. we're in a country where that is not very possible <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember passing out so that is i don't remember it well, so like, this is the thing. I'm not sure if I did or not. Basically, it was like in secondary, it was like year eight or something. 
and I was walking down. I we woke up for like breakfast or whatever. Walking down the stairs, the last few steps I tripped, and like didn't trip forward, like tripped back. So like my back hit like the stair, and then I think I like blanked out for a bit, like for a few seconds. But my mom, I did milk it a bit, and my mom was like, "Oh, he he blanked out for like a minute." And then basically <laughs> I, I milked it a bit and was like, oh yeah, I need to go to the A&E. So like we went A&E because uh, I kind of went a day off school, to be honest. And then, yeah, I was just like, oh yeah, fainted for like an, a minute and a half or something. When that's, that's actually a really long time to like faint for. I'd be concerned if you actually fainted yeah. for a minute and a half. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I think the doctor was on to me. But anyway, he said, uh, you might as well take the day off school. But anyway, while that was happening, rumors were circling at school that I was dead. Or I was like <laughs> <laughs> being really bad. Because I think my sister's like, I don't know, it was kind of like Chinese whispers. I think my sister's, because we all got like the whole crew of like the town I live in, the kids from my town would get the bus to like school together kind of thing. So I think my sister's, like one of my school friends asked my sister's like, oh, where's Aaron? And my sister said some bullshit. <laughs> and then they then exaggerated the story a bit. And then I had my, my head of year try calling my mum, asking me like what was happening with me. When really there was nothing. I was just like, totally fine. Shout out Aaron's sisters. No, no, no. Yeah, chat shit. Um, <laughs> you spoke about how you, when you first came, you grew up around some, I guess, underprivileged children, and now, I guess, you're also teaching them. So mm. you've gone from learning biomed to teaching, I guess, biomed. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I I teach all three sciences. Um, unfortunately, physics is included as well. Oh. <laughs> Why do you hate physics? I, I find it so difficult. It was one I just left it at GCSE. You know, got my grade that I wanted. And then mm-hmm. just thought I'd be done with it, let alone thinking I'd become a teacher straight after university. <laughs> See, physics physics is the one I did at A-level, the one science I did. But I'm fuming at it because in my last physics exam, I got a D. Oh. And that made me get a B in physics. That was like, stopped me from being like a straight, I being like able to say that I'm a straight A student. Hey, Mish, you know what that is? That's a low-key brag. That's yeah, low, I know. I know. Low it's low-key flex. But... <laughs> but to be fair, like I had, well, my, my one's actually much more luckier, I guess, than Actually, no, mine's going to be actually worse. So for further maths, like I was like, I had managed to get all. So I had maths, further maths, applied ICT and economics, had AAAD, D in economics, dropped it. Thank God for that. It's just because I had to have the fourth. I wasn't going to have it. <laughs> it was either that or flop in physics. So and I was like, I'm not going to do that as well. So, so in A levels, the second actual year, I, I managed to pull the A star out in maths, managed to get the A in ICT. Basically, apart from C3, C4, this is actually how it went. C3, 100, the first exam. I walked out knowing I got 100. That's how gassed I was. C4, I knew I got enough to get the A star, gassed. And then everything went downhill so sharply because I had put everything into C3, C4. <laughs> I just remember like, I'm pretty sure all of them were like E's and F's and I ended up with further math C. So I had A star, oh. AC. Oh, wow. The math was fun. Math A-level, I think was my best subject, strangely. But yeah. What like years are you teaching? I teach from year seven to year 12. And is it the same school you went to? No, completely different school. This is a placement school with the program that I've been training with. Okay, cool. When did you kind of decide you wanted to become a teacher? To be honest, I think because of the youth club where we used to work with a lot of kids, I've always enjoyed that. And I think a part of me always just knew that I was going to become a teacher at someday. Mm-hmm. And at uni, I got introduced to Teach First through like a brand ambassador and just reading their stuff, I was like, okay, I need a backup plan anyway for when I graduate. So I applied to their grad scheme in my second year. And yeah, they just ended up being my A plan instead of my B plan when I graduated. So yeah. Yeah. Do you enjoy it, teaching? 
I do, I do. Um, I mean, was, you can't really say that you like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the kids are dickheads. Um, no, I, I, I do enjoy teaching. Like when you actually get to teach, you know, minus the challenging behavior, it is very rewarding. I know a lot of people say that. It, yeah, I find it probably like I can't think of something else being equally as satisfactory that I'd want to do instead at this stage. But yeah, and it's 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 not boring. It's like every day is a new day. Every day is different. Yeah, so different. Um, how would you, I guess, feel with it coming up? Because right now the basically national lockdown has been introduced for apart from schools and universities as expected. So like, how is that going to be? The school has plans. I think a lot of schools have had a plan. It's just whether they've been able to stick with the plan, depending on how strict, you know, the behavior policy is, you know, how switched on the students are, how much they care. So I know a lot of schools have been really good. Like they've managed to still maintain the bubbles. Students have had, you know, masks on, teachers have had visors on, which has been really great. You know, social distancing wasn't brilliant. And because we have quite a lot of challenging behavior, there was a lot of shrinking lessons. So there was a lot of cross between different year groups mixing with each other. So that aspect was already lost. And in terms of just working space for staff members, there's not a lot of room in school. So yeah, we had masks on, but obviously you can't always maintain like a huge distance between staff yeah. members, just purely because of facilities. Do you have masks on while you're teaching? No. So that's, that's the thing. We don't. We can wear visors, which is what most of us do. Uh, the reason we don't wear masks is obviously audio gets muffled. And um, we, have, we teach a lot of special needs kids that require to lip read. Um, and obviously they can't do that but obviously coming now it's it's just a matter of being safe being alert keeping our distance from kids I think obviously that's the main issue we're all adults and they are less affected even though they are super spreaders but I don't know we'll just we'll just see how it goes yeah, do you feel safe like in this time of teaching I mean I I do because I'm very aware the rest of the staff body are very aware and it looks now like students have you know looked at the bigger picture and realized, okay, we've had some cases in school. Some kids have been sent home. And then what they've realized is actually they don't enjoy learning from home. We had a lot of issues during that lockdown period where a lot of, you know, our students didn't have access to online resources. So they've literally missed education for like six months. And they must have other stuff going on at home, which requires them to stay there if, you know, it goes back into national lockdown and school closes. So a lot of them just would rather be at school now. And I think that a lot of them have appreciated that more. Nice to hear. Yeah. <laughs> the teaching is another profession we've had quite a bit on the podcast, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> had quite a few teachers. Hmm. How do you find, I, th I don't know if I've asked, I probably have asked each one of them this question, but like, how do you find, I don't understand how teachers, like, especially if you're teaching like multiple years, how you go from like teaching one lesson, one hour, to like the next hour teaching like totally different content. They say teaching is like putting on a show. And putting on a presentation, you can't react. You have to literally put on a new face every time you enter a classroom. And a lot of it is like background work of planning. A lot of it is obviously out of work hours. So we don't finish at 3.30. We'll finish at like 5.30, 6 o'clock. We'll take yeah. work home over the weekends. And it's just that mindset that when you get into that routine that, okay, this is why I'm teaching this class. You, you only have that transition period of maybe five minutes between those lessons to get your head like in that game and mindset that, okay, I'm switching from year seven biology to like year 10 physics in a matter of five minutes. And yeah. it's, it's just, a, it's like a skill you just have to learn. And it takes years to kind of master every single lesson to be a really higher quality. Yeah. On, on the actual, with the working hour stuff, mm -hmm. would you prefer to have like 
so teaching, you're doing teaching as a job, but you're doing like nine to five, mm-hmm. five days a week for like the whole year. Mm-hmm. Or you do like the current teaching hours where you have like, I don't know, what, nine to three thirty, three forty five. Sometimes you do marking work on weekends, mark work like late at night, but you get the school holidays. Oh, so do I prefer to have the nine to five without the school holidays? Yeah. Or my current situation. Mm. Yeah. But you're still teaching. You're still doing you're teaching. Still teaching. Like somehow. It was, that's that's interesting it. you say that. I think the holidays is a big bonus. <laughs> I yeah. I, th- I think I would like, <laughs> I think I would like, especially the summer holiday, like six weeks. Yeah. Off. Yeah, for sure. I was just going to say, have you ever had to do like lessons during half term? Because I remember like as we got older, like going into GCSEs and stuff and A-levels, they had to. They put lessons on over half time so we could keep up or get better or we would have access to resources. So mm. like, I don't know if you do the same, like teachers would just book out like entire days, like or even the entire half term and come in every single day to make sure we're really learning. Yeah. Yeah. Like, some I, friends could do that. Yeah. I mean, my, my school, they did, cause I was only here, this is my second year at this school. So they did have one last Easter. Um, they do it for those exam classes. And then sometimes they'd even have Saturday morning sessions. I, I hate those. I say like, even though I was called in for it, it was my own doing, but I hated those. It was my own doing, but I hated those. <laughs> well, it did well. It worked out in your yeah. favor. <laughs> you know, but th- that time, no, like he, he, the guy that did it to me, it was justified. So I think I mentioned this story in the past. So basically what happened was I was in mechanics, so A-levels beginning, I got like three U's in three class tests by nearly by the end of time oh, one. Mate. And I was going to get kicked out of further maths. How'd so, you get a U? What, what did you do well, to get I a just, U? I don't know. Maybe I just, it just hadn't hit me yet, you know? But um, every other exam I was doing well, it was just not mechanics and another further maths one because we had to do three modules each year, right? So yeah, he said, okay, you need to start, you and a few others need to start coming into further maths. So out of the four people that came in on the Saturday mornings, I was the only one that showed improvement. So I, I went from U to C in a week. And then he was like, okay, I apologize for calling you an absolute moron in front of everyone, <laughs> in front of the class. And then, yeah, I went on to get A, one of his best students. But yeah, it was, it was for my own doing. As I said, it was my own doing. So I acknowledge that. But um, he apologized in front of the whole class for the insulting Wait, words. Wait, like, he called you a moron? He didn't say moron, but he said like, oh, you, I'm okay. stupid and all that stuff in front of the whole class. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Was the whole class like, oh. Yeah, I mean, we're bro, we're like under 18. How do you think we're going to react? <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were just like, oh, fair play, fair play. This this guy is stupid. You know? thing was, he was like doctor as well, isn't it? So like, you had to put more respect on his name than everyone else. <laughs> no, but like, I uh, have nothing against him. Like, I, I knew it was, I knew it was for the cause, and he was a good teacher. So, as I said, I got an A, so they must have had some part to play in it. Mm. Speaking of a doctor, a certain uh, Doctor Marcus Rashford came <laughs> uh, okay, up. We've spoken about him before. When did he become a doctor? Became a doctor. Marcus like during the summer, yeah, yeah, he got an honorary degree from a uh, university oh. of Manchester. Oh. So he has the technically has the doctor tied to if he. I wants thought you were trolling me. I was like, it. "What are you on?" No, 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 Doctor Marcus Rashford, MBE. <laughs> and yeah, you you work in a school. You say here that you work in a school where it is quite underprivileged, mm. and there are a lot of kids that are on free meals on the free meal scheme. Yeah, we we hire a school with seventy five percent of students who um, require free school meals, which is a significant obviously number compared to the schools that we went in how has it been like i don't know I'm, I'm imagining like during school like there's like whispers in the corridors and like people like talking about are oh, they going to take away free school meals and stuff like that is it like do you talk about that kind of stuff like with the teachers and like in the staff room and stuff like that yeah in the staff room we do i, I think amongst the kids we don't hear it as much there's obviously a lot of other drama but i know that, that a lot of them do feel it 
quite a lot. I mean, when lockdown first happened and, you know, as a school, we were waiting for those vouchers initially to come out, but that was going to take a week. Our school kept its cafeteria open for lunches so students could still come and get their free school meal just for that. So I think a lot of kids, they tend to, you know, suffer in silence. They don't really speak about it in school. It's one of those things that if I speak about it, how will another student perceive me? Because they don't realize someone else is going through the same thing as them. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I know, I know amongst us teachers, we are quite passionate that because obviously we see the effects of it in school that, you know, we're eager for it to have still continued for them. What do you get as a school dinner? School dinners? I, I think it varies. I think now, what have I seen in the canteen? Fish and chips Fridays, obviously, like pasta bakes, uh, chicken, beans. hips, rice, beans. Yeah, little curries like that. Stuff that you can make in mass, but are still and healthy. Nutritious. Yeah. Do you remember, I think it was at the same time we were all like in primary school, but do you remember that like when Jamie Oliver like started doing his healthy shit? <laughs> like there were, the school was all over the place at that time. The kids were like rioting. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember chips being there on the menu every day. Mm. Yeah. And then he wanted to introduce like carrots and stuff like that. I was like fuming. <laughs> no, I didn't really have school, uh, school dinners. Yeah. Neither did I. I was one of the lucky ones. My mom made me food. I <laughs> oh, see. Thing is, I wanted school dinners. Oh. No. Yeah, because I would just have like a, a ham and cheese sandwich, a packet of crisps or something. And then, especially pre-Jamie Oliver, like I'd see the school canteen, there'd be like chips and smiley faces, wedgies and cake and stuff like that. And I was like, oh shit, I want that. That's mad because, yeah. So I would never have wanted a free meal. Also, my, my parents would have never wanted me to have it from the school because they would believe having... I know, but it's paid. Yeah, I know. it's paid. Like you had to pay for it. Oh, you had to pay for it, Matt. Oh. I mean, you could use the school, uh, you yeah. could use the voucher scheme mm-hmm. or... Alternatively, you'd have to pay for it. Oh, Matt. I just remember like, oh, the majority of my days, I've taken two Rotleys, um, a Kit Kat and a Caprison. And then when the Jawbreaker hustle started, it, I could bring in a crisp <laughs> as well. Jawbreaker <laughs> Were you selling Jawbreakers? Yeah, didn't I mention this? I was selling Jawbreakers in your seven. <laughs> oh yeah, I think you did. Yeah. 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 And then then obviously when the peas got up a little, you know, got to bring in a crisp in every day as well. But, but I remember days where like, you can't, how do you eat two Rotleys? Just rolled up. And then just eat a Kit Kat and a drink and then be good to go. I was like, <laughs> what kind of moron of a child is this? Yeah. But then again, like I also was a very fussy year, so it wouldn't have been in help with my kids. Vinaya, are there any like side hostels in your school? Oh, currently. Because mm. she knows about them. That's being them closed wrong. down. Yeah, I'm so educated about what's yeah. going on. I'm no longer the cool one. I'm trying to You get think. the jawbreakers. <laughs> no, do you know what they do? They look through teachers' drawers, but they did this before COVID. There was a kid that was stealing my um, mentor's food that she used to keep in her desk drawer. And every time she like finished this class, it was just gone. Like it would just not be there. So she set up like a little trap for that student in her drawer (laughs) with a little note. And she watched him because she had a free. So she was watching her desk from, you know, this, this balcony area. And she saw who it was and she caught him. And you know what he did? He replied to her note. Oh yeah, I rate that. I rate that. And then went. <laughs> Do you know what the reply was? Just like I you're have right, no miss. idea. <laughs> cheers, oh. cheers for this. Yeah, <laughs> I rate that. I rate that. To be fair, yeah. I'm an encouraging. Very, I don't know what what kind of behaviour do you call that? I don't business. Know. Yeah, I think it just is the hustle. Just finders keepers. It's not this <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, like I I can't even like knock the kid for that because I remember. So in multiple, our form was just fucked, yeah, like, and I think it was just in our school in general, like, basically scissors would start flying around the room, glue sticks would start flying around the room, things would be hidden in the broken lockers behind that people, the teachers didn't know that 
were actually openable because everyone, some people realize that multiple in the room, if you had a locker, yeah, like it's a good chance any of you are like any small key could open that locker. So people would just store like random things in it or like sometimes books, you know, scrapped up paper balls to throw and get ready. It was it was a dangerous time back in those days. Uh, it's still not back in those days. It is still these days that yeah. things. I mean, I can imagine. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I do wonder, like, how just like how is school these days? Like, is it still the exact same things, but just you know, different people? Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. It is that. It's exactly that. And I think it just depends what school you go to. Yeah, I know how extreme. Yeah, they all. I see. You know, when I'm doing my morning walks, so like I see all the kids now, all of them have like a touch phone, like a smartphone, etc. And walking to school, I'm like, so everyone walks to school with a smartphone now. Or like, this is this a normalized thing? Like everyone has a smartphone at that age. I'm, I'm in shock. I'm like, to be fair, though, like I can kind of understand that because at our age, there were other phones other than smartphones. Mm. Like, so like my first phone was like a Nokia kind of thing. But like now it is just if you get a phone, like it's just smartphones. There aren't any other phones to get really. Yeah, how many times have you had to confiscate someone's phone? Oh, so they're actually quite good at school. They're they're scared of phones being confiscated because they don't get them back until the end of the week or something. Or their parents get called in. So they're quite hot on that. So they have to come into school and they drop off their phone and that gets collected. So I've never had a phone go off, but I did have last year uh, a phone alarm went off in my classroom. The standard procedure is to call a senior leadership member to come and like, search people's bags and remove the phone but I was just like I can't be bothered I really don't care so I just told the student like just shut off behind my back and I won't say anything I mean that's that's that was it that's when I got them on my side after giving me three months of a headache so that's that's how you get on the students that's that was a strategic play from you yeah yeah it was and actually that's that's I one of them told me this year I don't teach them anymore but they're Mm -hmm. year 11s now they they told me they actively tried to get me to quit my job for the first like two months of when I first started teaching so they used to coordinate like at like 12 o'clock we're going to do this at like you know 12 30 we're going to do this and we should do this 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 and it used to be stuff like I turn around and they'd be like standing up or like making animal noises and then like shutting up as soon as I turn back things like throwing (laughs) wet paper towels because it's a science room so we had sinks and paper towels so they used to throw stuff up and like to the ceiling and I wouldn't be able to see and a lot of stuff like that but until the phone incident apparently that was the turning point I've been told so. <laughs> That's mad because you're taking me down a trip down memory lane. I remember half these incidents that happened at our school. Like, <laughs> and so in, when was it? In year seven, when they first put us into English sets, yeah. What happened? I remember it was like me, Waleed, and a few other friends in one corner. So we were in one corner. So books and stuff were just flying. It was like, not even like, it kept upgrading. So it started off with just like, you know, have your notebook, you know, have your exercise book, you roll up, scratch paper, throw it across, but you had to tear it down into pieces so it's small pieces. But within within days, it escalated to like full on like books being thrown. Even and someone started throwing hard book, hard like you know the hardback book. Yeah, hardback books across the room. Yeah, and it would be every time the teacher turned her back. Yo, after one month, she left. And like <laughs> now, now looking back, oh me and we feel me and me and we do feel a bit bad about it. Yeah, but the thing was, if we didn't fire back, yeah, we were just going to be taking all the hits. So we had to. We had like a cupboard with all our like, you know, ammunition for that, in- oh that English gosh. lesson every single, every time we come to that hour, yeah, it was always ready. Like we had to make sure. Wow. I, do you consider yourself a, like a strict teacher? Not after that incident. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think the, the advice that I've gotten from every single person who's still a teacher is when you first start off, especially when you first start in a school, you go in hard. Mm. You, you go in acting like you know exactly how the system is. You're meant to be strict. So I was strict. But I think I like I praised the ones that were like being generally like really nice. 
So it was like two sides of me. And then until like you get to know your students, so probably by like Christmas, you just ease off a bit. But I know that like from now, especially this year, I've been really like strict on year sevens and year eights because they're the troubled ones. Very, very troubled. Do you have like favorites? Like Ooh. teacher's pets? Are they actually, yeah. is that like myth? That's what no, I no, it's, it's, there is a, there is a thing. Yeah, it is oh, a yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, no, because I was going to say like those plans to like kick out like a teacher or something. Mm. They probably happened, but I was probably just not involved in them because I was a teacher's pet. Like they probably just like don't tell Aaron because you'll probably tell the teacher. <laughs> no, I would have told the teacher. One time, like, so this teacher, our history teacher would come in, yeah, the, and some of these other students that had some next grudge against the history teacher. Like the history teacher was actually quite nice yeah, and safe to us. So there was no reason for us to be in conflict unless someone else started like, you know, like a paper ball fight across the room. And then we had to retaliate. But but like they, they were like, so every time she brought in a coffee, uh, like for like a solid a few weeks, yeah, they would just stab it with like a needle or something or a compass and it would just start pouring out. And then she'd be confused as to how a hole became. And then one time she left crying. Yeah. And then some of these. What was this coffee in? Was it, it was like just, a plastic it was cup? Just, it was just in a normal coffee. Like. Oh, so it wasn't in a mug? No, 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 no. Oh, there's polystyrene cups. Yeah. Uh, those, the ones yeah. that you can put a compass through or whatever. Because the compass is technically legal for a school. Like, even though we got such a compass was like valid to bring in because of math. Yeah, we had to ban compasses last to the end of last year. Yeah, they need to make like non pointy ones and then make at best, like, because How there's do you no draw way. Them circles in maths. <laughs> but when do you ever draw circles in maths except for GCSE? Oh, we did. I remember mechanics as well and some other, a few other things that you had to do before. It was, it was rare though. It was rare. I don't know. I, I remember using a compass quite a bit. Yeah, to stab fucking polystyrene cups. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I never did that. I never did that. Because there was a few rules that we had to, and like a few of us did abide by. It was like, don't fuck with someone's money, don't fuck with someone's food. Those are two rules you had to abide by. And I still abide by those rules. And I expect <laughs> the same from others. <laughs> those, are, those are the rules yeah. you were taught. <laughs> I'm guessing your favourite's like biology out of those three. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Teach. Mm, yeah, I love biology and chemistry. Chemistry is is interesting, but obviously my my degree is much more centered on biology, so I enjoy yeah. that. Did you find that you had to teach yourself a lot of like chemistry and physics again, especially? Yeah. So when you when you get the curriculum and you look at the content that you have to teach, so chemistry was still quite easy because I didn't have to do A level, so it was more just a very slight refresher on GCSE chemistry because obviously the syllabus changed to the last time when we did it. So I was just refreshing myself on those. But physics, I remember because my knowledge of physics was only GCSE and the syllabus has changed for that. I had to basically do a six-week course on physics and relearn the whole syllabus. But yeah, most of the time when I am teaching those two subjects, I am kind of learning as I'm about to sort of present that lesson. Yeah. Do you want to continue like teaching at this level or do you fancy like teaching at a higher level or lower level or specializing maybe in just one of the subjects even? So this is my first year teaching year 12 biology. And that obviously is very interesting. Like you don't have to worry about all of that extra sort of behavior stuff. It's solely just academics. And uh, you can obviously add a bit more passion because that level of learning has now slightly dipped into first year university. So the stuff that they learn and stuff that I kind of learned at uni. And I think that is really enjoyable. So whether I continue to do A-level uh, in the future, do kind of find like year seven and eight science really boring. It's, <laughs> it's like super interesting from them because they just like see a flame. They're like, oh my God, can we just burn stuff? And I'm like, oh. oh yeah. When I saw a Bunsen burner <laughs> for the first time, man, that was, that was sick. Do you yeah. know that test? You know what? I don't know what you call it. I think you put like a magnesium strip in um, HCL and it basically creates a pop here. Uh, it's the, the hydrogen test. Yeah. Yeah. So they made us volunteer for open day. So 
luckily I got to do the magnesium strip one. And then basically there was one point, yeah, like, so they were meant to come in at a schedule, yeah. So I had actually like queued up the pop. So it's just going to be like, you know, like moderate pops throughout, but they were running 10 minutes late. I'm sitting here with a thing basically making my fingers start to like go red, like beyond that. And I'm like, oh shit, when, when I do this, we're all going to go deaf. So they come into the room. I do it. The whole room stops in silence. My teacher's looking over because he thought I blew up the thing. He's like, oh no, no, he's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's jokes. I mean, on, on open evening, obviously, uh, you ever go, have you ever been to those school open evenings? And it's like the science section is like the really cool section because they yeah, do all this yeah. experiments that they say, oh, you're going to do. You never do them. The teacher yeah, will do like I, the really yeah, cool yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. And even then you get to do them like at the end of summer because you don't just fit that into the curriculum. So there's a really cool one we did on open evening last year. I think you put like, this type of alcohol into a massive, you know, those like massive, like five liter water, like containers, yeah. massive mm. plastic bottles. So you put it into there, you swirl it around and then you shut all the lights off. And when you light it, it's like a whole blue whoosh uh, flame comes out of the bottle. Don't try this at home. It's very cool. Do not <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very, very cool. And uh, yeah. You know, when, when they taught us some of the mechanics of fire, yeah, it was a dangerous time, yeah, because, yeah, then when people figured out, you know, like those, how people would bring in like the axe cans and whatever, yeah, you know, the deodorant. And then you could, if you light it like a flame in front of it, it would basically be a flamethrower. It became a very dangerous time when they introduced us to the mechanics of flames because people didn't <laughs> learn it for the good reason. They just became a flamethrower until people, <laughs> until they banned deodorant and everything as well. You would have, you would have liked cubs and scouts. I don't know. I don't like the idea of living in a tent. I, that's why I don't do you commander, but I don't like the You don't right. live permanently. That's just like one trip. Yeah, but like. that's, that's nasty, man. Like Hey Mitch, you should do fire fire breathing. Fire breathing. Yeah, you take a bunch of I think it's cornflour. We did this as part of the youth club. Put a cornflour on your mouth and then we had a specialist and he had this like massive stick with like a flame on the end. And then you're meant to like blow it out, the cornflour, and then he lights it and it's like it makes a huge fireball. Do not feel the inner pyro maniac inside of me. What if you like choke? <laughs> Like you blow out and then you like breathe in. Like, is that, oh, you're going to like... That's just bad luck, but yeah, just, no one's did. done that. <laughs> I'll, I'll consult my pyrotechnic friend, Willie, and I'll let you know how that goes. So Hamish, would you never go camping? I did it for Duke of Edinburgh and I'm not going to do it again. I just refused it. If by camping you mean we get to stay in some sort of like Airbnb or something, I'm up for it. But if you're oh, saying we're going to be in a tent. tent, there is no fucking way. There is no fucking way I'm going in a tent. <laughs> I'm not going through like a shower or something. That's just not possible. What if like Bay is like, oh yeah, let's go, let's go camping. No, 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 no. Bay's getting dumped. Yeah. <laughs> what if your kids want to go camping? If they want to go camping, yeah. then I'll leave them in the tent and I'm going to go to an Airbnb <laughs> nearby. <laughs> and, and if the wife condones this, yeah, then, then she can stay with them, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to chill in the Airbnb or in the car or something. I'm not going into that tent, yeah, to violate my hygiene rules. Yeah. There's just no way. I say there's no way and you're going to, your Aaron's going to somehow have a picture of me in the tent somehow. I don't <laughs> Vinaya, how how big is your school? Like, how many kids are there? Uh, I want to say like around eight hundred to nine hundred kids. Okay, and seventy five percent, like roughly, are on yeah preschool free school meals. Mm-hmm. I'm going quick maths. Probably six hundred fifty <laughs> to seven hundred thousand. I'll insert that in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, like there is the argument that parents will become reliant on being, you know, their children being fed by the government. But at the same time, like we are in different conditions we are in unprecedented times where a lot of these parents either don't have qualifications or they can't get a job obviously the job market is significantly reduced so it's no longer about them it's about like the future so hashtag feed the future 
Yeah, we'll also leave the donation link as well in the in the description. So go donate if you yeah. if you have spare cash lying around. Yeah. So did you ever study music at school? Um, I did it for GCSE, and I regret not doing it for A level. Is music like something you've always kind of been interested in? Yeah. So I because I started piano when I was like eight. I, it's because it was an instrument I like loved. So I've never had to be pushed to practice or you know mm-hmm. play it. I've always loved music. So it just kind of, when I saw GCSE music, it wasn't even a chore for me to do it. It was just something I enjoyed doing anyway. So yeah, it was more of a perk. So I was like, hey, I got a grade out of it, but it's already you a hobby. You played the piano when we came into chaplaincy for Hindu song. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you went someone else. You still always play it. It was uh, me and Hirsch Kataria. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We used to, we used to do that before um, Hindu song started. Oh, is that like when you've got like one piano and then two people playing at the same time, like next to each other? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, yeah. So myself and Hush, sometimes we used to just do like a little jam sesh collab. Yeah. We both just play, sit on the same piano and we both just play whatever we're playing. What's that called when two people do it at the same time? It's a duet. Oh, just a duet. So, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that might have been a fancy, fancy uh, term for it. <laughs> I think that's so cool. Like you see videos of like, you know, they got like pianos, like all these train stations, mm. like randomly. I yeah. don't know. What is that? Is that, does that mean anything? Is that got some history behind it or something? Or is that just a... I think thing. it's just so everyone kind of like takes a break from the fast-paced life and like just sits there, enjoys it, maybe slows down a bit as well. Yeah, that's, it's that's super a very fun. deep way to put it. Yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say like I've done one of those. It was like, I think it's, you know St. Saint, Saint Pancras International near yeah. Kings Cross. Yeah. So they have like a really nice upright piano is the one without the big back. It's just upright. So they had one there near like the staircase and I was waiting for a friend and there was this really talented I'm going to say like he's around middle age, like late 40s, guy playing on it. And like when I see other pianists, I'm just like, wow, like, you're so amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to stand there and listen. And obviously I had to look quite a bit of a crowd. So he was playing whatever. And then like he saw me watching and he was like, oh, do you play? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I play a bit. And he was like, oh, <laughs> like, come on, play, play something. So I was just playing like a part of my piece, um, which I thought maybe he'd be able to like play on top of. Um, and then he did. And like my friend got a video, like the whole crowd, there was like a, like a big crowd there. They're all like watching. And it was just really cool because it was like a complete stranger. But like two yeah. of us were like jamming and like hands up, probably one of the best sort of spontaneous experiences I've, I've had. Quite nice. Yeah, I was going to say, because those are things you see on YouTube, like go viral a bit. Yeah. And how someone can just like, someone's playing and then someone just jumps on and just like adds on to it and it just fits. It's like, I'm like, shit, how do they <laughs> just know that? Aaron, next time you see, I don't know what you, I forgot the exact term you call it. You know when they're playing like the guitar and stuff in the like tunnels and everything? Oh, um, in London. Yeah, busking. Yeah. So next time yeah, you see busking. them have a spare guitar, you just hop on and play some Ed as well alongside no, them. Because I'm definitely not. Are you a musician, enough. Aaron? <laughs> uh, you know, just uh, by day, I'm a, <laughs> a regular person <laughs> by night. <laughs> no, I, I mean, what I have done is like, if I wanted to learn a song on guitar, I would just go on YouTube and like be like, how to play this on guitar. And then learn it. Mm-hmm. And I've just done that for like a load of songs. And then oh. like done that with ukulele as well. And the harmonica as well. So you're self-taught basically. Yeah. But like if somebody just told me to like play this, I'm like, uh, I just memorized how to play these random songs that I like. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I can like do that kind of stuff that Hamish is saying. Or I definitely wouldn't be confident enough. Mm-hmm. What kind of made you get into like piano, specifically that instrument? I don't know. Like, I mean, my mum told me that when uh, in Kenya, like they had a piano at my grandma's house. So I think one of my aunties must have been learning it. You know, when you're two years old, you kind of just press a bunch of notes. And yeah, my auntie, there was like 
to, you know, just playing a little bit of tune just to see if I could like pick it up. And I did. And I was just always there, like, you know, playing with two little fingers. And then obviously it just became a thing, like, you know, try a musical instrument. And my mom was like, well, let's try piano and uh, end up sticking with it. Yeah. Hmm. What's the difference between a piano and a keyboard? So you have, the piano is solely just acoustic mainly. Um, so you've got just strings attached to the keys. And okay. a keyboard is digital. So you plug it in, may have different sounds, different parts yeah, of, you yeah. know, to that. Um, you can even now get digital pianos that are both acoustic as well as have a digital output as well. So, yeah. So if you can play the keyboard, you can play the piano. If you play the piano, you can play the keyboard. Play the keyboard. Yeah. So they're both the same concept. Maybe keyboards, you can get the 88 keys or you can get smaller. But mm. I would say because keyboard functions are very different, it's almost like a performance. So how people can switch different modes and things like that. Yeah. I think that's a whole different set of skills that you need to learn if you're going to become like a keyboard performer. Hamish, any instruments for yourself? No, I'll play the recorder in year three. <laughs> oh, they're good on recorder. Hot, hot what about their triangle? Yeah, yeah, hot cross ones, I remember that. I remember actually doing, we had to do, we didn't do it for like GCSEs, but up until like year nine, we did, we did get to use the keyboard, but I guess it wasn't all that. So I can't remember anything special. I just remember that we had to learn a specific piece. I think it was Gangster's Paradise. We had to learn <laughs> what? Yeah, we had to learn Gangster's Paradise on the keyboard, and then we had to go play it around the class each one by one, and that was how your year nine grade was determined for music. Nah, Gangster's Paradise. Yeah. What? Coolio's Gangster's Paradise was what the lady that was teaching us. She loved it. She loved the um, Gangster's Paradise. <laughs> she loved like the random song, and she just made us play Gangster's Paradise. Be fair oh, enough. So <laughs> Do you think you could teach music, Denaya? So I, I mean, I teach piano already. Actual like normal music? Mm, I don't think so. I think because I only did up yeah. to grade five theory, I didn't complete all my grades in theory specifically. So I wouldn't feel as comfortable teaching it. But I, like with my students right now, I just teach them obviously the graded stuff that they need to do or ABRSM and teaching others how to just simply like learn pieces by ear, like how to improvise and things like that. So trying to teach them skills to do that. And you mentioned as well, like composing, that was something to you did at school as well composing your own music yeah and I understand you have got your own like original kind of song I do I do so I during lockdown obviously you have a lot of time now to yourself to kind of be more creative so I had bought myself a keyboard and I already had this system software where you could record into it's quite it's quite professional so I just plugged it in and I was already composing on my normal piano but what was different was I decided let me just put this into that software and let's add different sounds on top and it kind of all just, yeah. after about a day, kind of a day or two, it just all kind of came together. And then from there on, it was just more editing it and just getting my parents' opinion on, you know, how does it sound? Does it sound good? <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? But yeah, I think I've always composed. Like, I think ever since GCSE Music, it's been, I wanted to be one of those musicians that, yeah, I can play songs that, you know, people request and, you know, things that I hear on the radio. That's all cool. But like it's another level for me to try and reach that stage where I'm actually making my own. Yeah. And I'd, yeah, I'd rather be one of those that like actually makes her own originals rather than just sort of reading off sheets of music or doing covers. Yeah. How many have you made and how many have you released? So on, on Facebook, I've released three. So since like I was 16, 17, I've released three normal just on piano pieces. And then this one was the fourth, but this is like officially released on like Spotify and uh, those platforms that has like an orchestral backing what was the first one you did you made oh, called? the very first one it was called unwritten yeah so your second one we have it uh you can check all these out on in some of like the instagram links in the description but uh, so your second piece that you created was called tsunami mm-hmm. 
see that little professional fade out I did. <laughs> yes, that, that was a tsunami. That was your second piece. So that's just a, just piano, yeah. no like added sound effects or anything. No, that is solely piano. And I probably plan to try and do like a remake of that with okay. added instruments on top. Yeah. Oh, are you going to sing on them or is it just like a piano? <laughs> just piano. I'm not a singer. <laughs> Have you tried? Have you ever tried? Yeah, I'm, I'm a very average singer. I, I don't really like to praise it I, I, at all. Um, average is right. That's, that's better than what most people say. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I, just, I just don't think, <laughs> no, but it's, it's just not at all the quality of my playing so i'd rather it not <laughs> be there so how, how do you kind of start composing a piece. like a piano song piano tune whatever it's a good question so it's different to like writing a song this like i think the same concept comes with piano if, if you've listened to a different artist i mean my my music is very i'd say influenced by ludovico einaudi do you guys heard of him no, no but no, I thought you were impressive. trying to say Da Vici right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's um, he's very famous. I'm sure you've heard his his music. It's a lot on BBC Player a lot. Basically, I'm wondering like, so there's actually a quick playlist plugged for Priya Agarwal. So she had a study work music kind of playlist on her Spotify, which yeah. I used during revision time. The piano music to whatever covers they were mm-hmm. were very good for, I guess, being calm and concentrating. So, but I don't know if that artist was in that playlist. Yeah, I've seen her playlist. I'm trying to think. It might not have been. It may have been, actually. There are some classic ones. What I'll do, Hamish, I'll send you a few little names of them and you can have a listen. But yeah, like he, he was kind of the center of where my comp- like composing led to. And then whenever I'd compose, I kind of just sit down and just pick a key. A key is basically like a scale on the piano that I'm going to decide my piece to be in. And then I'll just mess around on that scale. So the way I'd mess around is I'd start playing a song that I know and then just add it, ad lib onto it. It'd be like, let's say I started off trying to play Hello by Adele, for example. From Hello, I would then just start playing something completely different to Hello, but in the same key signature that may have fit on. And then from there, if I hear a melody I really, really like, I used to just record myself so I wouldn't forget. And then I did that a lot. I would just, whenever, every other day, or whenever I felt like, okay, this is my time. Let me just see what happens. Whatever happened, if it sounded good, recorded it. So I had maybe like five or six different recordings. And then I used to then sit down properly and be like, okay, how do I patch all of these together? Which ones work? Which ones don't work? Which ones can yeah. I use for a future composition? And then find a way to kind of transition them all into one piece. So is that how you have the stuff like the weekend? You had like Pray For Me and something else mixed with it. And that's the, only, that's the one that sticks in my head the, the pray for me that one yeah that to be honest that is just like i've learned two separate songs and found out like oh hey i can just transition them when i'm playing and then just did that okay but it's a similar concept like you you kind of the way i do it is just generate it from one song and then see what happens and then just take that part out and stitch it onto something else i've created do you ever do that do you know the signals that, the symbols they have to i forgot how to do it now because i haven't learned music in a while but i remember you have to do you ever write it down into the actual fancy page no that's the one thing I've not done. So everything I've ever created is up here. It's not okay. been actually oh, put onto software, which is what I want to do. I need to download Sibelius. Yeah. Do you guys know what Sibelius is? Oh, that sounds familiar. I feel like we did that in music, actually. It was on App Store. Uh, the Apple generated it. It's basically an inputting software where you just play and it will just write what you're playing and then you can edit it. So I just need to do that now with my stuff. So is it fair that isn't really like a meaning behind what I play? Like when you're making these? Compared to like when someone's like writing a song, mm. like there's meaning behind the words and like stuff like that. I think it's more, you know how they say like your emotions drive your actions. 
So mm-hmm. whenever I would have like a day where I just needed like my self time, whatever reason, my go-to would be like music. I know a lot of other people go to reading or whatever else they do. So mine would be music. And actually those would be the times where I'd create the best stuff. Yeah. So a lot of my music would maybe have meaning at the time when I'm creating it. Like my parents could hear me like smashing the keyboard or like, you know, hearing the way I'm playing. And it comes out a lot more different than if I was trying to just play it like in a normal kind of stagnant mood. Yeah. But then when I'm like cutting and pasting the pieces together, it's whatever just flows really. And then it's when I listen back to it, I'm like, okay, this is what I need to do to achieve like what I want at the end of this. And then naming as well. How do you, how do you name how do you name? Why is it? Why is it called tsunami? So my dad and I listened to it in the car, and I was like, he was like to me, "Do you have got a name?" I was like, "No." I was like, "My plan is let's listen to this, and what does it remind us of?" And both of us just sat there with our eyes shut, listening to it, and we both came up with like these ideas. So I was saying, "Oh, if you listen to the rest of the song, there's like a build up, and it gets quite loud, and it gets quite fast, and that was almost like there was a wave, you know, building and then being released, and it just sounds like that whole atmosphere." So. That is why we came up with the name Tsunami, because it's basically describing what a tsunami is. So yeah, those mm-hmm. should listen to the rest of the song, link in description. Should we uh, have a listen to your latest one? Yeah. So this one's called Hope. Have you ever considered like selling these? Like these are like genuine like beats that I can imagine <laughs> people like rapping over like singing over. So the funny one is like before I finished Hope, I initially like created a little sample like of it, and it was very like baseline. It was just like I'll oh, hear some piano, hear some string, hear some like drums, and it almost sounded like you know the ones where it's like spoken word rap or like a, like a very mellow rap over the top. So it sounded something like that. So I sent it to a mate, being like, "Hey, do you know just try this out?" And from there, I just was like, okay, do you know what? I'm going to just develop it into an actual piece. And I didn't really sell it. It's, it's difficult to just find people to sell it to. And like, I didn't ever think of making music for like the point of selling it. I just used to just make it just because I loved it and just wanted people to hear it. So this being on Spotify, like, yeah, you make like less than, you know, $0.1 <laughs> for every like 500 views. But for me, yeah, I don't know. It's not, it's not really... I mean, if, if the opportunity comes, I'm not going to say no, but it's not something I'm like searching for. So like all the extra like instruments on that track, mm. are they all like computer generated ones or like you've nabbed from different sources? No, they're, they're all from the keyboard. So the keyboard has inbuilt oh, really? sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the flute, all of that. The only thing is the drums has a ready built in sample for R&B uh, on the keyboard, which we can use. So I just mm-hmm. uh, use that one. But everything else is just pretty much me just playing on the keys and adding that tune in. So what are the other instruments in that? So you've got an orchestra, you've got strings, so like a violin, basically ensemble. You yeah, I was have... going to say violin, but I didn't, just in case like it just wasn't. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah you have that. You have the flute, uh, you've got bongos, uh, you've obviously got the drum kit, and uh, you've got a bass guitar for the bass line. But no, that's that's cool. And then I guess this one, like, so this one has like a music video to it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I guess this one does have a bit more of like a clear meaning. You've called it hope. So because it was created obviously during lockdown, when I listened back to it, I was like, okay, this is perfect because we are now just coming out of lockdown. So this was around August time, but it's still that sense of like uncertainty. 
So the video was really, I just found clips that I could find for free. But the way I sequenced it was more just the start of the video goes from normality before March to the protests that were happening, the BLM movement, the idea of like increasing equality. Uh, you've obviously got COVID picks up as well. Life of just like moving on with a mask, like shopping, you know, chilling, things like that. And then the end is more just everyone's unmasked. It's like life is slowly turning back to what it used to be like. And it's just a sense, if you listen to the music along with the video, maybe mm. hopefully just make you feel that way. <laughs> no, no, that's that's really cool. I'd, I'd love to like make my own music. Just wouldn't really know where to start or. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I think maybe the first step, the first step, my advice is first learn how to listen to other stuff and get to play their things mm-hmm. and get the feel of how you can pick up and know how like a sequence is meant to flow and then see how you can just add on whatever they're playing. Do you have any more on the pipeline? Any release dates that you can say or so? Not release dates. I have composed something else. Uh, hoping to actually have a single on it, which is in the process. It, this one's a bit more like Indian influence, less a bit of Indian Western influence. But for the time being, I'm so busy. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm lucky even yeah. if I get time to just, you know, sit down on my piano these days. But yeah. <laughs> is it something you see like more of kind of like a hobby or for something sure. you could like? Yeah, I think more more of a hobby. Not something you'd necessarily feel like, like you're working towards building a portfolio and then like kind of doing it. No, I, I think that's, for me, I feel it's quite difficult to get into that kind of career. I mean, I'm really happy with teaching. So this thing is more like a side hustle, if you must say, but a side hobby for sure. You'll kind of step away from like the career, the money making to actually something a bit more creative that I enjoy. But yeah, like, like I said earlier, I mean, if there are any opportunities that crop up in the long term future, I'll see if it's worth the risk or not. So another side hobby, mm-hmm. I assume that you mentioned to us beforehand that you're thinking of starting is a podcast. Indeed. So yes, it's another another person trying to take our job. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this is going to be quite a different podcast to yours, so hopefully it won't be competition. <laughs> yeah. So what's, what's, uh, what's kind of your idea? So the idea is literally talking about the ins and outs of being a teacher. So the realities, um, the funny stuff, the serious stuff, kind of the topics that we've touched on today, but obviously in a lot more depth. And then just talking with different experienced teachers or assistants and volunteers of what their experiences are like at different schools yeah no that's cool i think yeah if you have like that's quite a niche area so that's always i think pretty good because it allows you to like target teachers for that um is that something you've like thought about for a while to be honest it was an idea that came up in the staff room so i always used to post in my instagram stories like funny stuff that kids would say or like detentions or serious stuff that would come up in you know in the news uh, based around students in schools and i got a lot of engagement from that and like a lot of my mates said oh you should like post more of this stuff and then obviously I listened to your podcast and a lot of people seem to be starting them so i i googled or like i no i just went on spotify i was like oh you know teacher podcasts and all of them that were there was pretty much based around like helping a teacher or like tips and you know top tips and stuff like that but it was nothing that could relate directly to those who aren't teachers so like you guys for example so then I was like oh okay this is like the perfect thing because I love having these conversations with other teachers and other people about their experiences and you know it can be hilarious and it can be quite engaging so it was an idea then I just pitched to one of my friends who also does teach first at a different school. Uh, so we're in the very, <laughs> very baseline starting off just idea generating, but we've got so much on our plate. So I'm not sure when the first episode's going to be out, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's something that probably a lot of teachers assume they can't really do, like starting a podcast or basically starting much 
once you're a teacher in case like children find it and stuff like that I guess yeah there is there is obviously that issue but at the same time kids are smart but they're not that smart if they don't know your name so it's okay <laughs> kids, yeah. kids can easily figure out though the name it's all right. like, I have a very unique name that they still don't know how to pronounce or spell or even know so wait how do you pronounce your surname they know my first they can't even say my surname half the time it's Haria yeah Aaron try to pronounce it Haria yeah you can do it okay okay, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, thought, yeah, I thought I was going to catch you out there <laughs> but no good luck with that um, when you start it when you do let us know and we'll like share it and all that oh, stuff thanks guys off the top of the high notes of high hopes um, from your music to the high hopes, what was the topic we were just discussing? Podcasting. Yeah, yeah. Um, of trying to maintain a <laughs> weekly podcast with high production like the third wheel, of course. There is a substance that you can get high with that causes a lot of debate of whether it should be legal or not. And I believe you also learned that in your um, degrees um, a little bit as well. But I'm not sure what you learned in your degree about it. So <laughs> Yeah, so in, in biomed, in my second year, I want to say there is a module called pharmacology where it does you know talk about hallucinogenics um like lsd ket and marijuana so that was really just two couple of lectures um, you see aaron said that <laughs> <laughs> nice because I, I don't know what any of those mean oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're different types of uh, drugs that are considered to be illegal obviously and i remember obviously everyone was very sort of intrigued times are changing now where Marijuana is legalized in more than 30 countries in several sort of states in the US as well. And more so now in the past sort of decades where there's been more uh, medicinal use of it to some extent. So it's a lot of research and scientists doing that to look at more the health benefits, the comparison of marijuana compared to obviously tobacco and alcohol, which are legalized at the moment. And then having obviously this massive debate where a lot of people do it at some point. And is it really enforced? What are the rules behind it? Should it be a concern? And there's that whole debate that's going on right now. What is your stance on it? Just so I understand both your stance on it. So my stance on it is, from what I learned, everything has its pros and cons. In what I learned at university, lecture kind of implied, even explicitly implied, alcohol is worse than marijuana. And there are much more, more health benefits in marijuana than alcohol. So if one's legalized, why can the other not be? And then obviously you've got this whole thing where medicine, there is obviously a lot of evidence out there. Ancient times people used it. Current times, it's in ointments. It's in a lot of products for health and beauty. And they have the ability to remove the THC that's in it. So it doesn't have those effects. But at the same time, the THC sometimes has its benefits for those that are suffering from various sort of issues. So my stance is that it should be legalized but it needs to be controlled for sure yeah so aaron yours i assume yours are gonna you don't probably don't care well can you argue no this this is like the first time i've heard of the substance so <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to give a good opinion on it yeah but, everyone knows the not notorious aaron from san francisco what do you mean bro <laughs> but having having lived in lived in a place where it was legal oh so you heard of it what heard of what so you heard of it because it's legal and you know that. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I honestly, I, I don't really, I am kind of like, I don't really care too much. I can see like, so I guess that means I'm also, I am kind of like for it being not, I'm like for it being legal then if I don't really care, I guess. Because I'm like, yeah, because I've heard, I've heard the argument so much about alcohol basically being worse. Yeah, and like yeah. statistics wise as well, just yeah, alcohol being, yeah. A lot bad for you, causing a lot more accidents and a lot more deaths than weed. 
so yeah, from that point of view, it's kind of a bit like a bit weird that one is seen as illegal and one's not. Yep. Basically. And one's celebrated even. And that's the one which is like seen to be worse. Honestly, that day is amazing. So as an ex-smoker, I'll give my chime in on this. So I think it should be legalized because it's safer than alcohol. And the damages that alcohol does, although some of the, I guess, full-on extent of, dam- of smoking it, it's, I guess, untested and because it's not legal. So it's not very easy to perform certain researches on, on what damages it, done to the, it does to the brain. But basically, a very short consensus for those of you who are looking to try it. You could definitely try it, I guess, after the age of 18 probably would be a wise thing, but you probably shouldn't be doing it regularly, I guess, until age of 25 because of the damages it affects it has on a developing brain. So that's why you probably shouldn't do it. Maybe you could do it in like an occasional time. So you think it should be like alcohol where like can't drink it below 18, but... Yeah, and well. if they taxed it and stuff, then like there'll be also... There's so many points to break down in this. So like it has to be like minimum 18 where you could be able to try it, but obviously you should probably utilize your brain a little bit, you know, um, and not smoke it like or like consume it in any way um, too much like on a weekly basis or so. And then... I'd say like after the age of 25, I think it probably makes more sense. Like after 21, you could maybe off the dosage if you want, but you have to understand, you have to do, you should do your own research on the effects it has on the brain and current studies that exist that there are. Because I'm not going to, obviously I'm not an also a medical person to tell you. And as an ex-smoker, I guess that's a bias <laughs> added for me. Ex-smoker? But, what do you mean ex-smoker? You know I medically can't do it as a joke, so you dickhead. Okay. So yeah, and then whereas alcohol, yeah, it can also add, cause other issues with multiple like known things and it's a tax substance similar to like I guess tobacco and cigarettes here so the government make money off this here like and quite, quite a good amount based on the amount that's purchased and the, and the cost that there are of these already existing products if they added the tax benefit basically there'll be a lot less people going to jail for crimes such as selling weed because people going there for a long going to jail for a long time just for selling weed and if you think about it like it's just basically a herb that's also kind of a naive way to put it, but I acknowledge that as I say that. But basically, that could also inspire people to start creating businesses here. So, you know, in San Francisco, they have a delivery one called Ease, which is basically like delivery. Um, imagine in London and in other parts of the world where you could like just let people quickly create the ideas, basically turn legit and just have legit money to work with. That's like, it's a lot better. Um, it can be obviously controlled, monitored. They'd have to start taking in certain precautions. There's not too many losses apart from, I guess, abuse of it. And if you don't really know what you're doing. And I know a lot of people commonly smoke with tobacco. I don't know why you do that to yourself. but Yeah, I was, I was actually going to say, like, I just don't understand why smoking in the first place, like nicotine, tobacco smoking is legal. Mm. I just, there is, what benefit is there genuinely? Like that is an addiction. Like yeah. nicotine gets you addicted. Exactly. And then, yeah, people like, oh, I vape, so it's less harmful now. If you're vaping with nicotine in it, what difference does it make? Either way, it's not good. Yeah. And I feel like they've basically made like cigarettes illegal, like inside. So why does not, do I just make it illegal, like full stop? Like, that's the thing, it's crazy. To like, if anyone inside the pub is smoking with you, they're also going to get affected by the lung issues and anything from later down the line. Do you know, whenever I walk past someone who's like smoking a cigarette, I'm like, my first thing is I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, start breathing out. Like, uh, I'm like, oh God, I've just inhaled like, it. Yeah, yeah. Inhaled it. I'm going to die. Yeah. 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 It's so true. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. Obviously weed is advised not to be smoked by those who have a family history of psychosis or, you know, schizophrenia, things like that, which have, you know, severely affect you because it can trigger an early onset of that. But like you said, there is much more purpose 
I mean, I'm not being an advocate to be like, yeah, let's just legalize it. But I'm just being like, well, already people don't really care. Look, you look at police enforcement, they don't really do much if they see people smoking. It's only if you're, of course, you're in possession of a large amount. I guess my thing is, as long as it's, there is medicinal properties and they are sort of thinking about how they can control it, then yeah, like I don't, I don't really see a massive issue. I just can't wrap my brain around why smoking is still illegal. Also like C- the CBD oil that you could get basically produced from it, like has extremely good um, effects. As you mentioned, like one of them is like, there's like a certain sets of stom- stomach cancer that you can read probably like multiple like stories and actual like cases out there where when people have had cancer, but they can't get treated in like this country, for example, or other countries. So they went to a country where it's legal, went on a course of basically consuming, you know, controlled substances to, to help. And it basically cured the stomach issues that they had, for example, like a certain sets of stomach cancers and so on. So like, it's basically preventing like, or it's basically forcing people to go to other countries to go to get certain um, treatments, which they could arguably get here. Because everyone knows that every corner you turn, you can probably smell it, or there's probably a dealer there. Like realistically, especially in London, like if you're walking around London thinking that um, every around every corner you turn, there's not going to be like a weed smell, then you're probably on something. <laughs> the thing is, though, is weed like marijuana? Is it negative though? Like, as in, if you got someone who doesn't do it, and you got someone who does do it, like, and they're they're carbon clones of each other. Doesn't it affect the person who does it in some way negative? Okay, look, so there are side effects. To be honest, there's a bunch of websites where you can find all the side effects. So basically, there's, there's different strands and there's like different breakdown. I'm not going to break all this stuff down, but different strands have basically different effects. So like there'll be some that trigger more anxiousness, but it also depends on the person, which is why like if you're doing it for your first time, don't just do it out of the blue. Maybe you want to do it with someone that's more familiar with it and they can maybe, hopefully they're, you know, quite sensible and they're just going to make you take it in a very slow and controlled manner so they don't trigger like a very, very bad case of like anxiety or something. Because some people will get like a normal one that you hear as a side effect is a negative one. It's kind of like the cotton mouth you kind of get from a lot of cases from smoking it. So like that's just where you need to satisfy that, like the food sensation in your mouth. But one is like it does raise anxiousness levels, I guess. And depending on the person, like even if one has a very low percentage of how much anxiousness it can cause in a person depending on the person it could be very bad so you need to like consider what strand you're smoking or like you're going to consume and you also need to consider the person so say person a i know they have a bit of anxiety and like so whether it's some sort of social stress or they get anxious in some situation that could be triggered by weed even though say i take a, a strand that I know is always a more happy, laughy one or like something like that, you know, a more active one to, you know, just get us running around or something. Like I would still make them take in way less quantity and just to see initially like when it kicks in, what's happening. Because for them, it's, first of all, it's a new experience because they've never experienced it before. So they don't know what's happening. So that's already like a scary aspect to some, but some people love their adrenaline rush. So it just depends on the person, right? So like if I know they have a case of anxiety, like I may even advise them not to do it. Like I've told people in the past, like, don't do it if you already have some sort of anxiety because even if I even say I got you like this particular strand that would have the least effect of anxiety on you like I don't want to trigger something in this scary moment that you're having even if it's being controlled by me even if you trust me like so much like it may not it it just may not be worth it yeah I agree with that I think you have to know yourself as a person especially because of the extreme side effects that could happen and like you said a lot of people would apparently get really paranoid so they can sometimes have like days where they're cool they've smoked it and they're fine and they've had like a great great experience and then like once in a blue moon they'll have a really bad what they call trip like a really bad trip so yeah I think you definitely need to know the type of person that you are and like like Hamish said it's one of those things you need to be in the right environment if you are going to try it yeah 
So one thing I guess that I guess when I use this book, like the, the things that we do, we'd have like a certain types of it doesn't the music doesn't matter as long as it's like nice, chilly, like or sometimes it can be a bit upbeat, but like or you just be around the people that you'd you know you'd be having a normal laugh with. It's not like a serious or like competitive something. Like in terms of that, it's just like no one's trying to be like a heavyweight smoker, you know, like that. Like that's just a dumb thing. It's basically everyone when you try to ideally consume that same amount should be able to get high. If they're not consuming the same amount, it's probably because they're smoking it wrong, anyways. But that's why also you shouldn't have an edible as your first um, trial of um, weed, and that is because of how because it goes straight into your blood. It's going to last much longer and it's going to be a much higher effect than it would normally when you than, than you do from smoking. Are you saying all this stuff like I oh, when you do it you should do this, you should do that? But like, isn't it then just safer just to make it illegal? Then what about alcohol? Because people are wait a proper. But I, I don't know if we alcohol. should be like comparing being like just because alcohol is legal. I don't think that's a reason for weed. Alcohol causes no limit. That doesn't make weed like any better or bad. Yeah, but for example, yeah, alcohol causes a minimum. Like you know, it's going to cause level damage upon start like constant use, and it's addicting. Weed can be addicting to some people. It depends. It depends on like what they're using it for. Like for example, I used to use it commonly to just chill out or like to sleep. Because I'm like I'm insomniac, so I, I, I used it to sleep like once a month, which was quite effective. Like that one night of sleep that month was amazing for the cost of just smoking that. Like one, and the loss of productivity the next day. Like that's also one downside. You can't do it. Don't do it on a working day because it's going to backfire. So like alcohol as well, like alcohol has more negative. I think personally, like because I have. Yeah, alcohol, alcohol might have more negative things, but that doesn't make weed any better. So why, why, why don't you make alcohol illegal? Yeah, but that's not the argument. Like maybe we should make alcohol illegal. Yeah, but then what, what, how can you have how can you have alcohol being legal? Knowing so, like for example, with my stomach issues that I used to have, or I still like, have, I can never have like alcohol. For example, alcohol or weed, pretty much, and that's just due to the extensive like amount of pain it will put me through right away. Knowing that alcohol will do that, and that's just on top of the other effects that it would have. You know, like the um, liver damage it could lead to, and anything else like depending on whatever else you're suffering from at the time. Yeah, so, like, yeah, but take take forget alcohol exists. But I'm using it as a comparison so you understand the baseline of what we're working with. But like, let's hypothetically say it doesn't exist. It, does we do more good than bad? Or does it do more bad than good? In cases I've seen, yes. But I've also seen cases where it does, like some people. Wait, which, which way? I've seen more good than bad. Once again, that's also the people that I've done it with. And like the environment I surround myself in. Is weed legal in a medical sense? Yeah, in this country, if it's for medical use prescribed under a certain dosage, uh, especially for those with terminally ill and, you know, a lot of them suffer from a lot of pain and anxiety, it is. So it's, it's actually prescribed. And the products, there's a lot of uh, skincare products for those that suffer from skin conditions that have basically CBD in it that comes from mm-hmm. marijuana plants. So it's minus the THC aspect, which is what the main debate is really about. The main debate is the THC is what causes all these effects that Hamish talked about, all the psychosis stuff. And if, what they've done is if they remove that element, you then have actually a plant which functions as a medical use. Because that, that's that really and truly that that is what the problem is. The problem is the effects on your psychology and the way that you think. Uh, that's that's the main issue behind why it, it may still just be illegal. Is it still weed if it's uh, hasn't got that THC? They don't call it weed because at that point it becomes. I don't know. It just becomes what? What would they say? They they just say like whether it's a sativa oil or whether it's you know which is a, I think is a strand, right, Hamish? Yeah. So they say it's like, like a parent strand. Yeah. So they, they just, they think of it then as a plant, like how you'd say, oh, there's like sunflower oil. So you've got sativa oil mm-hmm. or another word they use quite often is hemp or they'll say this has got CBD. And as soon as you see CBD, you know, that comes from marijuana as a plant. 
Yeah, I think, I know, one of the main reasons I just don't really care is I'm not sure how much it would change. If they turn around tomorrow and was like, hey, weed's legal. I don't know what that changes, to be honest. I feel like if people want to do weed, they'll still do it. Like whether it's legal or illegal. That is very true. I think maybe people will just do it in more public places without the fear of being caught. Yeah. And I don't really care if they do that. As long as they're respectful about like other people if they don't want to be near that kind of stuff. Which I think, so I lived in San Francisco for a year, uh, the night after university. Oh, cool. And, okay, so this is the thing. I don't know if maybe just the whole air there or just was weed and I just got used <laughs> to it. But I didn't feel like I was kind of like walking around and like I was just disturbed by the smell of weed all the time. That's it. Mm. I, I feel like people were pretty, because it was legal there, people just kind of. Yeah. I don't know. It, did it there is that thing where like, you get a nose thing. block. Yeah, I might, I might have had you that. You might have had that. Because I know when I went to Amsterdam just for half a day, I mean, you walk past three streets and I can just smell it everywhere. But obviously for people that are there, they're just like, oh, I can't smell it, I can't smell it. Um, I, f- I found an article on like reasons, 11 good reasons weed should be legalized by experts. Number one, weed is 114 times safer than alcohol. I can see Hamish is gleaming. <laughs> no, no, like, no. <laughs> that's just, a, that's just the lying right now. But like, honestly, like, this is already stuff I read up on because I like to like occasionally do like research on the brain and how like certain things of the brain work, for example. So when I used to smoke, I'd also like tell people like, or before and after, I'd be like, look here. Yeah. Like, for example, when our friend's younger brothers was doing it with us, like, and he was like 19 at the time, I was like, look here, yeah. you can smoke with us here. Yeah. Like, and we'll smoke like once a month here, yeah, sure. But do not smoke more common and, if, and the reason why I'm not going to try to explain you every single in and out is because I just, I'm going to tell you go do the research on it and the effects it has on the brain etc if you do it regularly so yeah you could go if you need you may decide to smoke there once a month fair enough and then you smoke with us that's fair enough but just know that you're doing it at your own risk and you're smart enough to know the difference so just do the research check it up and then that's on you but I'm not going to be the one giving you um, letting you like smoke it more than once a month because I'm not having a 19 year old smoke it once a month or more than once a month like on my conscience, because I don't want to affect his brain development, especially when he's a really smart person. So like... But you still want it to be legal? Yeah, but like, you can put an age, like an age limit on it at least. So would you be happy with your brother if he was 25 smoking it like every day? Every day? I mean, not every day. It's legal? Yeah, but every day. I don't... You know, you have to realize that the next day you usually lose your productivity. Like no matter who you are, like you will lose productivity. It's a lot harder to do work the next day. That I'd probably have to step in. Like, I wouldn't want him to be... If he was doing it, I would not want him doing it every day. Do you think any of it could be because you've done it, you're, like, subconsciously, like, trying to justify yeah, so you I want mean, it to be legal? I do think that's the case as well. But I also think it's... I, I've done quite a lot of research on it just because th- there were too many unknowns going into it. Whereas with alcohol, you know, oh, yeah, I'm just risking liver damage. Like, you go into it, and, oh, I'm going to have a fun time because all my friends are doing it. Mm-hmm. All that stuff, yeah, like... And you're willing to risk the liver damage then just because it's legal. But you're not willing to risk, I guess, like some sort of anxiety attack just because it's illegal. And it has less damage. Well, in my opinion, it does less damage based on the research I've done to you than actual, what is it, alcohol? Even cigarettes, like people who smoke tobacco, like people who smoke tobacco, I don't fully get. Like I understand maybe you somehow got hooked on it and you needed it for some stress relief, but you're using it for more to get you through a thing more then ideally you're going to be using weed through. Weed I only use for fun purposes slash leaping. So I have a different stance on it because I didn't use it to like kind of get me, force me through something, you know, like. Number two, legalizing dope doesn't cause a crime epidemic. They'd also have to free everyone that's in jail for selling weed. <laughs> free my guys. Uh, number three. <laughs> what guys are in? 
Don't worry, don't worry. They'll know. They'll know if they're listening in prison. Number three, weeds can kill cancer cells. Is that true? I don't know about that. It's no, no, no. Okay, so the cancer cells, this is kind of the CBD oil thing in the stomach, in, at least in the stomach region. It can help if you consume a bit of it, but it doesn't, what they're saying doesn't actually work, especially if you have like lung cancer and you're smoking it. It won't, it's not effective. Like you can't smoke it whilst having like, for example, some sort of stomach cancer, which needs a CBD oil to be consumed. You could do your research in it in your own time, by the way. Everyone. Yeah. Number four is dope is actually less addictive than drinking coffee. Yeah, I, I can, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, number five, legalizing weed would recharge the British economy. I don't know about that. They'll be all over it then, surely. Yeah, you cut the drug, drug, drug dealers and it. you've got government. Yeah. Who's, Basically, wow, I mean, it would assist a bit because like you'd, you'd stop making it a cash-only business, right? Because that's the only way you, could, you have to take money out of the system to move it into there and then they have to clean money to get it back into the system. So Number six, most people now believe smoking dope is safe. That's no. a bit of a, I don't know if that's a really good point. Seven, legalizing weed creates jobs. <laughs> it does. It does. I, I mean, technically, yeah. I guess Just so. think of easing, easing San Francisco. But then it also removes jobs, as you said, like if you're a drug dealer on the street, Hamish. But they can convert it. They can convert to a, like a wall. Yeah, but maybe they don't have the CV. They don't need maybe a CV. Like, they don't have that uni degree in business. They don't need a uni degree. But fam, we created companies without having a degree, fam. We're like, how, how are we using that as a justification? Legalizing dope doesn't encourage young people to smoke it. Oh, I, I get it's that weird psychology argument. If something is, you know, legal, yeah, yeah. it's like you're less likely to do it because it's not a bad thing. It's like, oh, I want to be a rebel. Yeah. Um, it's less of a adrenaline rush because it's like, it's like when your parents tell you not to do something and you go and do yeah. it, you know, like. Yeah. At the same time, though, all those people that are like, I don't want to do it because, because it's illegal, maybe they'll try it because it's legal, mm. potentially. Number nine, most people in the UK and US now support weed being legalized. I swear we've had this fucking point already. <laughs> it's also okay. not a reason, just because yeah. the majority population yeah. agree. <laughs> Ten, political heavyweights such as Barack Obama are getting behind legislation. Uh, yeah, I've read about this. <laughs> uh, I've seen a point before where it's like, oh, Barack Obama used to smoke weed, it should be legal. Steve Jobs used to do it and he made Apple. Uh, that kind of stuff. Eleven, some believe cannabis oil can cure cancer. It doesn't cure. It just relieves symptoms. And it's like some people believe that. Like some people believe the earth is flat. Like it yeah, doesn't really. It's the same people. <laughs> what does that mean? Wait, did it say cure? Yeah, you can't. Yeah. You don't cure cancer. Cure. Okay, I mean, who wrote this article, Aaron? <laughs> Name the author. This is, no, this is no, this is the Metro. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say it. To be I thought you said experts at the start. And I'm like, these are like oh, experts. It's, it's the, the title says by experts. But who this expert is, I don't know. Wait. A cancer patient claims to have been cured by cannabis. David Hibbett has been told he had been told he had only 18 months to live, but now he's looking forward to life with his new bride after being given the all clear. The 33-year-old from Stoke-on-Trent, Staffordshire, said this miraculous turn of events was down to him taking cannabis oil, which cost £50 a gram from a local dealer. But that's just one case. Yeah, shout out David Hibbett. <laughs> Hibbett. Um, it's a lot harder. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot harder. I was trying to find articles like that that were for legalizing just so we could get like the argument but it's a lot hard to find them i was trying to find like scientific papers behind it but it's quite it's quite difficult yeah, yeah. once again because it's illegal it's very hard to get those kind of researches done but yeah i, I don't know yeah i i'm like i'm to be honest i'm just like if it's legal cool if it's illegal yeah sure it doesn't i'm not gonna be that bothered by it yeah i, I agree 
Hamish, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm fine. I basically, like, they can insert the controls and stuff, but it's kind of, like, down to people to understand what they're about to consume, you know? Like, as I said, like, I know cases where the anxiety has been triggered badly. And I just don't want to see that happening, like, left, right, center, around the corner. Like, if I walk around the corner, I see someone smoking, and then now they're suffering from, like, a bad case of anxiety. That's just going to be like, oh, fuck's sake. But then, like, obviously, they could increase happiness as well. Like, you know, like, letting people just do it more openly. Like, I think, yeah, so, like, one of the main main reasons I've seen from a few articles now, like, on why it should be illegal is just kind of what you said, where, like, you smoke it and then the next day is kind of a write-off. Like, I know this is the same with alcohol. Like, you can be hungover and then the next day is kind of a write-off. So, like, with weed, if you do that, like, often or whatever, it's just going to create a lot of people, just make a lot of people unproductive. The thing is with alcohol, though, Aaron, don't, doesn't it also dehydrate you quite heavily? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe alcohol should be illegal as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fine, whatever. Basically, the government can just oh. tax in it. Like, what's the, what, what difference does it make to them? They're, they're literally allowing for cigarettes and alcohol to be served. So, like, they just allow one more thing to be served that's actually less harmful to the public than what the fuck they're already doing. What's, what's the issue? It, it, I guess it's one of those things, like, just like yeah. alcohol, you need to be able to control it. Yeah. I don't know how they'll control it, but you know. As in, you yourself control yeah. the amount you take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah not quite related, but not really on this debate. I remember when it was uh, we're in lockdown and it was VE day, and you know there was like loads of people who went out into the, like their drive and like street parties and kind of stuff like that. Like you? Yeah, I went into my drive. It was like the first time I went outside in fucking like months. Um, <laughs> but my my next door neighbor, she brought out an umbrella and they had the cannabis. Uh, <laughs> leaf on them <laughs> she did have a fucking clue we were like why have you got um, an umbrella with uh, the cannabis logo on it and she was like wait what my uh, my son bought me this from Amsterdam which <laughs> 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 is uh, yeah that was quite funny that's right you remember when you snitched on the son well, it's just funny didn't mean to and she just thought it was a flower you know what I mean <laughs> but yeah yeah I think is that everything? Should we start to uh, round up? So we end off each episode with like some final questions, a call out and a shout out. So yeah, final question we'll start off. First one is, what is next for you? Um, so my contract with Teach First is ending in July. So it's, it's whether to make a decision to continue to teach or change careers. My mindset at the moment is to get experience at a different school. Maybe one a bit more closer to home. I might even venture into more pastoral and less you know, teaching science. So actually looking more at okay. behavior. Uh, so yeah. See what happens there. Second question is, what would the name of your autobiography be? So I thought about this and I'd call it a series of fortunate events. So a little play on a series of unfortunate events. I think there's been a lot of significant events in my life that, you know, at the time wasn't great, wasn't brilliant. But, you know, in hindsight, it's always led to something better and on the pathway. So, yeah, that's what I call it. That's that's actually a sick title. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Third question. This is a question we ask every guest and that is... What has been your most memorable third wheeling experience? Oh, I mean, that's if like you've third wheeled someone or fifth wheeled or whatever, or they've done that to you. They've done that. I remember there being a time where <laughs> this is in first year and keep all names anonymous, but um, one of my flatmates, <laughs> girlfriend, who didn't, we didn't really know, she was preying with us um, in the kitchen and he was there with her. And there was like a group of us little us girls from our first year flat as well. And we were preying, but them two were just being very PDA and it was just extremely awkward. 
to a point where we were just like really uncomfortable that we kind of just sneaked out the kitchen as they continued. So yeah. <laughs> There's a couple yeah. that we, we know that was kind of the same. Uh, who? Who? Who are you talking about? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. the next section is a call out slash nomination where you can like nominate one or many people to hopefully be on the podcast in the future yeah sure um i nominate one of my really really good mates vishay patel he's like one of the most awesome people and most down-to-earth guys and he is incredibly good at tech he has a drone so He's, you know, he can talk so much about all of that and, you know, where he goes to countries and takes all that footage and puts it into a really good video. So um, he's that. And then also Ted Shah, a fellow Warwicker, but, you know, he's created some really, really eye-opening blogs uh, recently to do with sort of his life and his circumstances and his sibling. And I feel like, you know, he's got a lot to talk about. Awesome. One of my mates from home is called Ted Shaw. So every, t- you, every time someone used to say Ted at uni, it used to confuse the Shah on me. <laughs> And last bits of shout out. So anything you want to basically plug, just give a shout out. Floor's yours. Uh, Vinaya, anything? To be honest, I think just if anyone's not heard Hope as earlier, have a listen out for it. It is downloadable on Spotify and Apple Music and the videos on YouTube. Um, otherwise, check out my piano page. It's now Vinaya Haria underscore music on Instagram. Uh, so the link will be there as there will be definitely more collaborations and sort of music to come. Awesome. Hamish, anything? Okay, I'm just going to shout out my Spotify playlist, the usual third wheel shout out one. Um, there's a new Ariana Grande um, album. Some of it is banging. Um, and there's a new Dizzy Rascal album as well. So go check out both of them. I didn't know you were an Ariana Grande fan. Why wouldn't I be? Like, she's the one. You, you just don't seem to be. <laughs> what? I just you know, you're just like. To drill all the time, Aaron. <laughs> pretty much. I, I thought that was just you. I, I don't belong in Smack downstairs that much. Come on. <laughs> Shit. You venture upstairs now and then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to. What should I shout out? Music, music. Let me do something music. On my, on my Instagram, I've got like a little highlight. You know, we can have like highlights on your page. I've got one where I've like played a bit of guitar, just like short 15 second like clips. Go check that out if you want. Not much there. Yeah, if you're interested, might be more by the time this comes out. Probably not though. <laughs> um, so yeah, if, you, if, you, if you're interested or intrigued, go go check out my Instagram. But yeah, awesome. Thank you, Vinaya, for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, nice catching up with you after a long time. Yeah, nice to meet you for the first time. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but yeah, hope everyone else has enjoyed the episode and we'll just catch you next week. All right, have a good day, everyone. See you. Bye. 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 See you. Bye.